This is Legal and Compliance Insights from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. This podcast is dedicated exclusively to providing you with illuminating analysis on legal and compliance issues faced by businesses around the globe. I'm Charles Hecker, and over the coming episodes, I'll be speaking to our experts about litigation readiness, a crucial aspect of any business strategy as disputes become more dynamic in the wake of COVID-19. Today, we're going to be taking a close look at one aspect of litigation readiness, and that's the role of experts, those with knowledge around a specific area that can be used to help a court or a legal body make a more accurate judgment about a topic or issue. have two of our very own in-house experts, Mavis Tan and Steve Wilkinson with me today. Mavis, thanks for joining the podcast and tell us a little bit about your area of expertise. So my area of expertise is in the area of forensic accounting and insolvency. I trained as a chartered accountant in the UK and then went on to obtain additional accreditation, including as a forensic accountant, testifying expert with the UK Academy of Experts and also a specialist designation in insolvency in Hong Kong. The expert evidence I provide typically around technical accounting or insolvency issues For example, in the context of money laundering proceedings, I would often perform complex fund flows tracing exercises and review the purpose of transactions according to contemporaneous records. In shareholders' disputes, for example, I've been typically called on to calculate share considerations based on contractual provisions or interpret technical accounting clauses or assess the true position on shareholders and related party loans and transactions. And because of my experience in fraud investigations, I have also provided expert evidence in the context of listed company frauds, so typically inflation of revenue and profits. Or in the context of insolvency, I've also provided evidence in liquidator claims. So these would involve, for example, solvency assessments, liquidation analyses, or evidence in support of certain antecedent transactions. Steve, tell us about yourself. What are your particular areas of expertise? I've been in computer forensics and information for security for about 25 years. I started this back when I was in counterintelligence in the Royal Air Force in the UK. My team, we deal with the whole range of of computer forensic and e-discovery issues across the whole spectrum, as you would expect. We deal with mainly investigation and litigation support, working very closely with Mavis's team on the investigation front. But we also do quite a a lot of cyber incident response as well. I've been lucky in my career that I started off with law enforcement forensics and moved into e-discovery and then also into incident response forensics itself. And I've worked across both areas quite extensively since I left the Royal Air Force. I've given evidence in the courts in the UK in relation to criminal matters as well as civil matters. But we deal with everything. It can be an SEC investigation, it can be cross-border data investigations, FCP investigations, which we're seeing a lot more of. And obviously, given the current climate as well, we're also seeing a lot more investigations in relation to conflict of interest in China. And China brings with it its own issues that we have to deal with on a daily basis. 
particularly around state secret issues, but also around privacy issues. The Chinese workers and custodians have a, a strong feel for privacy, and this can create a lot of problems when we come to imaging mobile devices, particularly which in China and in this region generally are the main forms of communication. So it can certainly be tricky, but it's interesting every time we do it. Either of you can go first here, but what I want you to think about is one really memorable experience of providing expert evidence. I remember one case where I provided written evidence in a multi-billion dollar trust dispute. It was a high net worth private wealth dispute that spanned numerous jurisdictions. And my evidence was given in the context of a discovery application by our client, where I prepared a forensic accountant's report on the opposing party's valuation of some of the key disputed assets. And also, I conducted an independent review of alleged charitable distributions that were made by these offshore trusts. My report pointed out very stark inconsistencies in what the other side put forward as to the valuation of one key asset compared to a forensic sort of bottom-up calculation of that asset's value. And what we also found is that the other parties claim as to the level of donations that were made by these trusts was actually very different from what we were able to independently verify from information that our specialist investigators obtained from the public record in a fairly opaque jurisdiction. And at the end of the hearing, lead counsel for the other side, who was a silk from London, was overheard sort of muttering under his breath, oh, bloody New York forensic accountants, which was quite funny because not least, not least because I wasn't even a New Yorker and I secretly found a little bit of satisfaction in his remark. But that aside, I think this demonstrates the importance for council teams to do their homework and thoroughly fact check and test their own party's evidence. In this case, it directly impacted on the credibility of the opposing party in the proceedings. And actually what they ended up having to do was to submit additional evidence to clarify and correct all the errors that they made in their initial round of evidence, which of course was not only embarrassing on their part, but also wasted a lot of time and costs that could have been avoided. Mavis, thanks very much for that multi-billion dollar tale. Steve, over to you. One case in particular, and it was quite recent, sticks in my mind. Our client was being harassed on online forums and also via email traffic. And this is all to do with a share issue. The interesting part of this was that the person who was doing the attacking very forcibly on the forums was also sending emails to the client's management group. It was all the C-suite. However, it was difficult to prove. And the emails they were receiving were unbeknownst to them. They had a, a tracker attached to them that sent information back to the person holding the grudge to tell them when they'd opened an email, where they were, most, most importantly, and that they'd read it. And this information was coming up on the forums um, quite regularly along the lines of, hey, I'm, I'm, I hope you enjoyed your trip to Hong Kong. And, 
I, I, I see that you were in Sydney yesterday. I hope that was a good trip. And obviously this created a great deal of angst for our clients and created a huge amount of fear, particularly in some of the more junior members of the team. We were having real problems trying to find out how this guy was doing what he was doing. So we talked amongst ourselves, we went to our colleagues in DA, and we came up with a process called stylistic analysis, or author attribution, which allows us to analyze media and text to see if it all comes from the same individual. And in this case, we took the text from the online forum, we took the text from some of the emails that we had, and we were able to link those two together with a certainty of around about 75 to 80%. So we knew that the guy on the forum was the same guy sending the emails. Now, he, these emails were official emails that he'd been sending as a shareholder, but there was nothing to really link him with that information. But that obviously gave our team a steer and a pointer to go back to the all the information we had from that original person and investigate further. And we found that one of the original emails he'd sent through from his official account also mistakenly contained the same tracker. And we were able to go to the local police with this information who readily turned up on his doorstep. And strangely, everything stopped straight away. That, for me, was an interesting case because it shows now the convergence of digital forensics and data analytics as an investigation tool and an investigation platform, whereas before we were seen as separate areas of investigation. And that's no longer the case. Data analytics is now, first and foremost, the point of the spear in a lot of investigations that we do. What are some of the considerations for retaining an expert? Tell us a little bit about the thought process behind bringing an expert into an affair. Unfortunately, we're the people that nobody likes to see because if we're there, it means that something's gone horribly wrong. And very often our engagements end with people saying, it was great to have you and thank you very much for your help, but I don't want to see you again. And I understand that thought, but if we'd have been brought in earlier in the process, it would have been a, a lot simpler to do the work that we do. Very often, particularly in the Asia region, there is a lot of use of bring your own device. And this is something that is obviously widespread throughout industry now. But very often, multinational corporations who have acquisitions here in APAC assume that the same rules and policies are being followed that their American or European counterparts have in place. And very often that is not the case. People will continue to use their own devices and there's a very big risk in relation to information governance to make sure that everybody understands that any data they're processing or any data information they're sending in relation to the business is discoverable during an investigation. The DOJ recently put out a directive specifically mentioning that mobile data now is one of the primary considerations for self-reporting. And this is something that, from a consultancy perspective, we can provide advice and guidance on that sort of issue to make sure that people are prepared for an investigation, they are ready for an incident to occur. And let me be quite clear, every sort of investigation that is carried out, be it an FCPA investigation, be it a malware investigation, a ransomware attack, that is an incident in the organization. It affects the organization, it affects their productivity, and it affects how they operate. So doing these things early to assess that readiness 
for investigation, I think is a very important point. Mavis, what are some of the things on your list? What are some of the considerations you would go through on the topic of retaining an expert? I absolutely agree with Steve's assessment. And the only thing I would add to early retention is that the longer you wait, the less time your expert will have to prepare. What I would also say is that an expert usually also acts in an advisory or consulting capacity and is able to assist in every step of your case, which can include anything from pre-litigation correspondence with your counterparty to discovery of documents and suggesting questions for cross-examination of the opponent's experts. So early retention is definitely beneficial. Another thing I would add is that a counsel should thoroughly check the qualifications and previous published opinions of the expert on the issue in question. I have seen many instances, for example, where an expert is called who has general knowledge about the subject, which just isn't good enough. For example, an auditor was in one of my cases called to testify on fraud issues and the auditor, you know, he wasn't specifically trained in forensic accounting techniques. So his testimony did not withstand cross-examination. And I would also suggest that you should check that the published opinions of the specific expert that you are engaging do not contradict the position that you are trying to put forward in your case. When we are acting as experts for our clients, We are independent. Although we're being paid by a third party, our overriding duty and our responsibility is to the court, to the process. We are not hired guns. We are not there to to bring the evidence more strongly to one area or to another area. We are there to provide facts. We are there to provide expert opinion on those facts. We are not there to sway the evidence in any way, shape or form. Another area that's often overlooked in the consideration of an expert engagement is availability and compatibility. So the expert's schedule should allow him or her to spend enough time on your case with enough hands-on time to become intimately acquainted with the case and all its underlying documents. The expert should also be someone with whom you can work effectively, particularly under the pressures of a trial. One of the major points that we see when we're giving evidence in court, particularly around forensic issues, is the demeanour of the expert in the witness box and how they operate with counsel. And it's very important that we're able to provide evidence both verbally, but in a written form for the organisations, for the courts to decide upon. But where we are called upon to give evidence in court, we do so in a clear, concise manner in a way that it cannot have doubt cast upon it. We speak to facts, we speak to real issues. We do not speak on conjecture or any other type of supposition. One must not also overlook the importance of a strong written report. In my experience, many, many litigation and disputes settle on the back of a strong expert report. So for example, in a director fraud case where the director admitted to utilising fraudulent letters of credit for working capital purposes, so there were no underlying transactions supporting those transactions, I was called in to give evidence on whether or not the bank suffered any economic loss from those transactions. 
and I submitted evidence basically saying that there was no economic loss. And on the back of that report, the judge was willing to accept the position put forward for sentencing purposes without having to hear the evidence in court or be cross-examined by the prosecutor. And this significantly reduced the prison sentence for the client. So a good and strong expert report is always very beneficial to a case. Before we go, what advice would you offer to companies looking to use experts as part of their broader litigation strategy? I think they should view the use of experts as an integral part of litigation readiness, which involves the mobilization of key information and analysis early in the litigation process. That includes identifying and getting an early read on expert issues that will impact on the outcome of the case. But in addition to expert issues, there are also other considerations in assessing litigation readiness, including initial counterparty assessment, especially when dealing with counterparties in another jurisdiction and issues like, you know, whether they have a history of similar conduct that you're complaining of, who are the key decision makers and what are the dynamics between them. And in our region, in APEC, where in many cases, business is politics and politics is business, it's also very important to assess if the counterparty has political or juridical connections that could influence the outcome of the proceedings. Another key area is in asset mapping and valuation in the context of litigation, especially in APEC, where it's, I think, quite a unique feature where the use of nominee structures to hold assets is fairly common. And these include million or multi-billion dollar interests in listed companies. And these can be held via long-serving employees or various layers of offshore companies. So it's not easy to work out what private companies are actually worth. In our experience, utilizing external intelligence and on-the-ground research capabilities is often very helpful in getting an early read and assessment of what the disputed assets might be worth and in informing litigation strategy. Steve, a final word to you. What is your best advice to companies looking to use experts as part of a broader litigation strategy? There are a lot of people doing what we do, but the difference from our perspective is that we are a joined up company. We have a joined up approach to this and we have a, a number of experts in our in our company who we can call upon to assist with investigations. We are not a standalone forensics provider or e-discovery provider. That's not what we do. We work across a range of issues, but we also provide advice and guidance to organizations before an incident occurs to make sure that they are ready for those incidents. And that's the big thing I'd, I'd like to get across really is don't be afraid of looking at us and talking to us so that we can assist you to prepare for what may come and probably will come. Certainly if you're working in an organization or in an environment that is subject to litigation or subject to intellectual property issues, be prepared for that. Get us in, get the experts in to help you to prepare your data to make sure you know who has what, where it is, what you've deleted and what you can delete, what you can't delete. And the whole issue around information security and information governance is an important, very, very important issue today. Very often we will go into an organisation, start an investigation, and they won't know where their backups are. They don't know how their backups are retained. That sort of information comes to light later on. But the, the main 
thing now is mobile device information. That is the big thing. WhatsApp messages, WeChat messages, Telegram, Signal, all of these messaging apps are being used in a business environment or to use or being used for business information. And that is all discoverable. So it's important that there are policies and procedures in place and we can help with that information. And we can help to guide you to make sure that when the horse is bolted, we're not coming in afterwards and trying to pick up the pieces. If you enjoyed what you heard today on Legal and Compliance Insights, make sure to subscribe. And be sure to subscribe to our other podcasts as well, such as The Global Insight, our fortnightly panel discussion exploring the impact of current issues on global business. All our podcasts are available wherever you listen. Just search for Control Risks. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we're helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com. Thank you, and goodbye for now.